All right, let's begin our sermon with prayer and our sermon series with prayer. We pray, dear God, you love us and you've rescued us and forgiven us from sin. Uh, but instead of bringing us straight to heaven, which you could have done, uh, you've put us here into a world, a world where we can rub shoulders with our neighbors and share and reflect your love with other people. So bless us as we talk this fall and bless us as we talk today about being part of your mission in this world. Um, bless our meditation on your word this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, it was the perfect buildup. It was the perfect buildup. So here was how it started. It started with a corner kick on the defensive end of the field, which was headed to safety. And then what happened is a midfielder grabbed the ball and launched his way up the field, and immediately the counterattack was on. Uh, and the offensive team had the, num the numbers. And so they're pouring up the field. The defense is scrambling to get back, but they couldn't scramble fast enough. It was one perfect pass to the left side, and then another brilliant cross to the other side, and pretty soon it was a three-on-two, and pretty soon it was a two-on-one, and pretty soon it was a one-on-one -on -one with the goalie. But then the striker did the thing that they don't always do, but that you should do, and he made the extra pass. So with the goalie fully committed, instead of shooting, the striker passed the ball over to the middle of the box where it rolled right to the feet of a wide-open teammate who had rushed up the field for this purpose. He is now standing at the six-yard line, wide open, with the ball at his feet in front of a wide-open goal. It was the perfect buildup. And it was going to be the perfect team goal. Except, this particular player, a little bit tired from his full field sprint, lost just enough form. And when he kicked the ball, he was leaning just a little too far back. And so his shot was launched harmlessly over the goal and far into the stands beyond. And you could feel the air go out of the stadium. You could feel the frustration because as good as that build-up had been, it only counts if it goes in the back of the net. Right? It's not enough to set up a great play. You need to finish. For a long time, God was working on the perfect build-up, you might say. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, he had promised Adam and Eve that he was going to send a Savior for their sins. He had promised it. And then God took that promise and he carefully passed it on and he moved it forward through generation after generation of, of Old Testament history. God's promises were repeated from parents to children and then more of God's promises were given to the prophets and written down in the scriptures. And then those scriptures were preserved and protected throughout war and famine and idol worship and exile and all kinds of other ancient world stuff. Until finally... When the time had fully come, Jesus burst onto the scene. And he did everything the way he was supposed to. He executed the plan to perfection. Jesus came into the world, took on a human body, and he lived a perfect, a truly perfect life that could count in our place. And he died on the cross, paying with his blood and making atonement for the sins of all mankind. His payment on the cross was so complete that some of Jesus' last words were, It is finished. And then he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven to put the cherry on top. 
Jesus' physical work on earth was finished, and it was perfect. But God's plan of salvation wasn't finished yet, was it? Because God's plan of salvation still involved bringing the news about what Jesus had done to people. To people like you and me. So this is the fascinating finished but not finished spot that we find ourselves in in our sermon text today from Matthew 28. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's gathered on a mountaintop with his disciples. And on the one hand, even though he's recently set on the cross, it is finished. On the other hand, his words now make it very clear that the work is just only beginning. So we read a portion of our text. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what Jesus had done on the cross was finished. The payment for our sins was completely finished. But God's plan of salvation was not finished. And it will not be finished until God has reached every last person that he's going to reach, planted faith in their hearts through the power of the gospel, and brought them safely home to heaven. Until God's done that, his full plan of salvation is not finished. So we find ourselves in this unique spot between finished and unfinished. These verses are often called the Great Commission because Jesus is telling his disciples they've now got a job to do. Go, make more disciples out of all nations. So, with that introduction, how do you think the disciples felt when they heard this command? Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he tells them, now you, go and make disciples of all nations. I don't know about you, I wonder if maybe they were a little bit intimidated. I wonder if maybe they were a little bit scared and they felt some pressure. Like, okay, Jesus is leaving now, and we're just going to do this on our own. What if we mess it up? And to be fair, the disciples did not have a great recent track record, if you read the Gospels. They had messed up almost everything they could possibly mess up uh, recently. You think of Jesus the night he's arrested and all his disciples have left him. And then on Easter morning, uh, they're all so skeptical that he could have risen. They had done a lot of things wrong. And so I wonder if they were intimidated that they're going to mess up Jesus' mission before they've even started it. If they did feel intimidated, Jesus' next words surely filled them with comfort and set them at ease. Because what did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, even though Jesus was leaving to go to heaven, he was still going to be ruling the entire universe and watching over everything for the good of his disciples as they carried out his mission. Also, Jesus said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, even though Jesus was physically not going to be here on earth anymore, spiritually he would continue to be present with his disciples the entire time. And also, Jesus said, Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, the mission strategy was not something that the disciples needed to figure out. 
They didn't have to come up with some kind of a tactic that was going to convince the entire Roman world to listen to the few dozen Christians that there were and convert to Christianity in such large numbers that Christianity became the main religion of Rome within a few hundred years. What tactic could they possibly come up with to do something like this? But they didn't have to come up with a tactic because Jesus was giving them his tools. He was giving them God's word. He was giving them baptism. And through these simple tools, God's Holy Spirit would touch the hearts of many more people and would bring them to faith and bring them into his family. And Christianity would spread like wildfire in just a few decades after Jesus went to heaven. So in short, through these very famous words of the Great Commission, what Jesus is doing is he's not only sending his disciples out, but he's calming their fears. And he's helping them to realize joining Jesus on his mission is something that I can do. It's something that we all can do. And so this is the theme for our sermon series this fall, joining Jesus on his mission. Uh, and the idea is pretty simple. I think you can even see it in the title. But so often, when Christians think of like going on the mission of spreading the gospel, the way we think of it is Jesus is sending me and I'm going to go work for him. Like, Jesus isn't going to be here. So I'm out here working for him. And like the disciples, maybe I'm going to mess it up. But the truth is, in reality, Jesus is not saying, I want you to go out on a mission for me. Jesus is saying, I want you to come on a mission with me. He's already ruling everything. He's already guiding everyone's lives, including the lives of our friends and neighbors and the people around us. Jesus is already planning and pre-planning and pre-pre-planning because he's an amazing planner. Just read the entire Old Testament, right? He's pre-planning in everyone's lives and he's working to bring people in contact with his word so that they can gain eternal hope, so that they can realize his love for them, so that they can come to the waters of baptism, so that they can be brought into his family. So Jesus is doing his mission. He's not sending us out without him. He's inviting us to come with him and be a part of the exciting work that's happening. And that is exactly what Jesus' first disciples did. So they went to their Jewish friends and neighbors and they explained that the Messiah we've been waiting for since the time of Abraham, it's Jesus. He's checking all the boxes. And then he rose from the dead. And they went to their Greek and their Roman friends and neighbors and explained to them that a long, long time ago, God had promised that he was going to provide free forgiveness for sins. He was going to sacrifice himself for his people. And he did it through Jesus of Nazareth, who proved it by rising from the dead. So that first generation of disciples spread the gospel all over the world. And then when God called them home to heaven the next generation stepped up to carry the message onward. And then when God called them home to heaven, the next generation stepped up to carry the message onward. And so it went, generation after generation, until now, here you are. In 2023, across oceans from Jerusalem, speaking an entirely different language from those early disciples, and yet in your heart and in my heart, there sits a deep joy at the fulfillment of that promise that God made way, way, way back in the Garden of Eden, that he was going to send a Savior for sinful people. And he did it. 
and we know about it, about it, and it sits in our hearts. And we look forward to being in heaven one day, and we know that right now we have a status of perfection when God looks at us through our Savior Jesus. And why is it that we know these things? And why is it that we have these things? It's because through the years, Jesus never took his foot off the gas on his mission to reach more people with the news of what he had done. Jesus never took his foot off the gas, and neither did his disciples. Well, sometimes they did. But Jesus helped them put it back on. So it would be a task for a different sermon to try to really trace all of this out and to go from Jesus all the way to the modern era and to go from the early disciples all the way to you and me. There were so many obstacles along the road. Uh, the wars and the plagues and the persecution and the false teachings. And, and yet generation after generation, God's children steered through it. They found their way through it because they knew that God's plan of salvation wasn't finished. It's not going to be finished until God puts faith in the hearts of all the people that he is going to reach and until God brings us safely all the way home to heaven. And when it happens, that's going to be an awesome day. But until it arrives, God's children will continue to pass the gospel on generation by generation to as many people as they possibly can. So now, the gospel has been passed on to you. Now, the ball is at your feet and mine. What are we going to do with it? So, I don't think that any of us would ever say like, okay, now that I've got the ball, I'm just going to pick it up and leave. Uh, game's over because now I have it. I don't think that any of us would ever say, all right, the gospel has reached through 2,000 years of church history from Jesus and four plus thousand all the way from the beginning to me. Great. So now I'm done. As long as I've got it, nobody matters but me. So the mission is over. None of us would ever say that. That doesn't fit with anything that Jesus taught. That doesn't fit with Jesus' heart of love for the entire world. That doesn't fit with the demographics that there's eight billion, almost, people on planet Earth and probably two-thirds of them have no connection whatsoever to Jesus. There is no way that we would say, now that I've got the gospel, well, now the mission's done. And yet sometimes we live sort of like, now that I've got the gospel, the mission's done. So if we wouldn't say that, but we sometimes do that, the question is, why do we do that? Why, why do we sometimes live this way where we don't have this urgency to pass what we have received from God on to anybody else? And we just feel like, oh, I'm good. Where does this come from? I think you could talk about this for a long time, but maybe it really boils down to a very practical reason. We're just really focused on our own stuff. And we have a lot of stuff. We, we have work, and we have school, and we have bills, and we have exams, and we have health challenges, and we have relationship challenges, and we have civic responsibilities, and the list just goes on and on and on. And like, I've become an adult eventually in my life, and like, adulting is a pain. And adulting doesn't ever stop. We just always have got so much stuff. There's always something we could be working on. There's always something that we could be doing for ourselves that maybe is important and good. And so what happens is kind of in the fog of this just busy earthly life, we start to lose perspective. And the earthly stuff starts to feel more important than the eternal stuff. 
And then my needs just start to feel more important than other people's needs. And so we just kind of live this way. We're focused mostly on ourselves and we're focused just mostly on our day-to-day stuff and maybe we don't even realize how misplaced our priorities have become until we open up God's Word. And this is what God's Word is for, that God's Word is like a lens. We look at the whole world through it and slowly but surely things start to come into focus. So, through the lens of God's Word, we look at the people around us and we realize, like every person that you ever see is a person who is eternal. They have a soul, like you do, that's going to go on after their body has died. And it's going to go on to either be with God in heaven or without God in hell. We look through the lens of God's Word at ourself and we realize that we are on the path to heaven not only because Jesus died for us, not only because God's Holy Spirit has built faith in our hearts, but also because God sent someone to tell us about it, to connect us to the gospel. We look through the lens of God's Word at God's Word itself, and we see it for the truth that it is, that this is the most beautiful, freeing message you could ever have, that God loves you and forgives you despite all of your sins, and heaven in Jesus is yours. That is the most important message that there could ever be. It's beautiful. But it doesn't do anybody a lick of good unless it is delivered to them. Like those cupcakes sitting in the closet. right? So as we read God's word, like Jesus' disciples, we get it. We start to get it. We say, who is going to deliver the good news of the gospel to the people in our lives? We are. Of course we are. That's why we're here. Otherwise, we'd be in heaven already. Who is going to deliver the good news of the gospel to the people in your life who need it? You are. Of course you are. So, what is that going to look like? I mean, this is the theme of kind of our whole sermon series for today, but maybe think of it through one more soccer analogy, and then I promise that's the last one for this morning. So just kind of thinking about this, have you ever played a soccer match uh, like as an adult or as a teenager and you're playing with a bunch of little kids? So everybody on the whole field is way smaller than you. So you have a massive advantage like in skill and size. If an adult is playing soccer with a bunch of little kids in a game like that, how do you conduct yourself? Well, how should you conduct yourself? Right? Because you could, like, run down the field and score every single time, and it wouldn't be that hard. But what you should do, and I think what we naturally do in these situations, is you try to involve your teammates. You try to get them to pass back and forth, and you show them that passing is good. You try to get them to run to an open spot, and you try to get the ball in front of one of your teammates, in front of the goal, so that they can shoot and they can score. You want them to feel the joy of getting to score a goal. And when the little kid on your team scores, like, it's way more fun than if you, as an adult, had just scored the goal yourself. So if you can picture that mindset, where you're really in control of the game, you're playing with kids, but you are, you are nurturing them and wanting them to experience the joy of scoring, like, you've got to think this is what Jesus feels like as he invites us into his mission to spread the gospel across the globe. Because Jesus is in complete control. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he's already defeated the devil. He's already overcome sin. He has even conquered death by rising from the grave. Like, the big game is over. The victory is secure. 
Heaven is ours. We know this. But Jesus wants us to have that additional blessing. He wants us to feel the joy of getting to share that salvation, deliver that salvation to somebody else. And so he fills our lives with opportunities, one after another, to be able to have spiritual conversations with people and end up sharing the hope of heaven that we have. Not only is it immensely good for the people in our lives, but it is also immensely good for us. Because it helps us, it helps you to appreciate the salvation that you have when you explain it to somebody else and you can see them comprehending it for the first time. And it's good for us because what Jesus is doing is he's beginning to mold us already here on earth into the perfect selfless mindset that he is going to build in us for all eternity. As Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which is not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And what better, clearer way could there be to look out for the interests of others than to share with them the message of hope of the gospel, hope that lasts for all eternity. Right. So may God bless us this fall as we embark on this journey and we discuss joining Jesus on his mission. Uh, I pray that God would bless us not just with intellectual understanding that he wants us to share his gospel and not just with growth in our faith that we're so happy we get to be a part of it, but with real concrete opportunities to take the beautiful gift that we have been given and to deliver it to other people in our life. And as we do that, Jesus smiles because now we're experiencing the joy. Now we're getting a taste of that selfless kind of love that has been in his heart for all eternity. May God grant that to each one of us for the sake of Jesus our Savior. Amen.